Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Behind the Net Podcast. I believe this is episode 26, is that correct? Yep. Um, as always, uh, I'm uh, one of your co-hosts, uh, Matthew, and uh, as always, uh, we have Michael here. Hi, guys. I'm the other co-host. Um, so it's been a pretty eventful week um, in sports, actually. But uh, first, I wanted to talk about uh, what you've been doing this week, Michael. Yeah, well, it's been uh, pretty productive. I got a lot of work done uh, over the week. Uh, as I said in previous uh, episodes, I've been uh, doing a lot of walking. And uh, for those of you guys who are, are hesitant to go outside, I think uh, just in terms of uh, building cardio and just uh, building your immune system, it's a good idea to go on walks outside. Obviously, keep your social distancing, but uh, definitely don't be afraid to go outside if your country allows it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been taking my dog for walks and just been going outside. The weather's been great. But, uh, I mean, on that note, I know a lot of people have been going outside because they've been drawn to the weather. And uh, I don't know. I, I've seen, like... You know, like Ken is starting to get a little spike again in uh, cases, so it's kind of kind of scary to see that um, and seeing uh, you know people just going out. Uh, like I went to, I went outside and I would see people walking with no masks in public areas, and I don't mm-hmm. know, it just it just worries me a little. Yeah, it does. And uh, whenever I'm uh, out in public and I see a bunch of people, I usually have my mask on me at all times. Uh, just yesterday, actually, I was walking around the Jane and Bloor area which is usually one of my favorite places to go walk because there's so much place things to do over there. But uh, as soon as I arrived in that area, I felt uneasy. So I just walked with my mask on the entire time I was there. I think that's what's going to be like. Uh, I, I'm not sure how it is in the regular downtown area because I haven't been there really since the pandemic started. But I can imagine anyone who's living in downtown Toronto or any downtown area of any city will probably feel the same way that I felt. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I haven't been downtown in a long time but uh I, I i do realize i do see a lot more people out on the roads and things like that um which is of course it's okay because you know ontario especially is starting to reopen very slowly mm-hmm. um so it's expected that more people will go outside but as long as people really just need to continue following social distancing um and not just assume because i feel like a lot of people just assume which i've I've seen on my like Instagram stories and things like that, like a lot of people like are, you know, hanging out with people and acting like it's not like it's over now and mm-hmm. you can hang out with people. But I, I'm, I don't know, like it, it, like, I don't think we're at that point yet and, and people should still be cautious. Exactly. And I think, uh, with a lot of studies that have been, uh, showing that, uh, wearing a mask, uh, helps uh, reduce your chances of getting uh, contracted with the disease. I think it, that in combination with social distancing is what's going to be the best method for uh, outdoor walks. So if you have a mask and you're going out on a walk, def- definitely wear it if you're going out in the public area. For sure. Um, on that note, though, uh, what else have you been up to? I know uh, we did something pretty cool this week that we kind of talked about a little last week. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I've, I've gotten into streaming, streaming video games, and uh, you joined me on a couple streams, and uh, yep. it was really fun. We played some Fortnite. We did get a couple wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got one per night, which is better than zero. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, that was fun. What did you think of it? That was a lot of fun. I uh, haven't played Fortnite in a while before you uh, brought me up on the idea of playing that game, and uh, it just felt like how I was when just before I stopped playing it. It's It's a good game, I will admit. And uh, it's much more fun, though, when you're playing with friends. I think it'll always be like a, a really good game. I mean, it's a free game for one, so anyone can play it. Um, and that's always been its draw. But uh, 
just i mean obviously they didn't invent battle royale but they kind of perfected that genre and mm-hmm. uh i just like i have ins and outs where i feel like i want to play it and then i don't want to play it but every time i come back to playing it it's, it's just as fun as before exactly and I think the best part, especially for us, because I have an Xbox and you have a PlayStation 4, is that this is one of the few games that you can uh, use cross-platforming to play with other people. And I think people don't realize how awesome of a feature that is because like, we want to play NHL 20 so bad or NHL 21, whatever that whatever game we're gonna, comes first. Um, and we can't really do that because we both have different consoles. So the only way we could do that is if I bought myself a PS4 or you bought an Xbox One, and I don't think either of us are willing to fork over the cash because there's new consoles coming out later this year. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's one of the one one things we were talking about. Like, uh, I actually put out a poll like before I started streaming about what mm-hmm. games people want to see, and Fortnite was like the least popular one, but it's fine. We'll, we're still playing and having fun. But mm-hmm. like, I would love to play like EASHL with you, but yeah, it's not cross-platform. Like NHL, NBA, those games aren't cross-platform, and I wish they were, because we could yeah. we could play that. But hopefully next year when the when we get the PS5, we could play EASHL next uh, on on NHL 21. Exactly, and uh, e- and EA, if you're listening, uh, EA Sports, exactly. Um, make cross-platforming a mandate a feature in the next game because I think a lot of people would really appreciate it. And it's, it doesn't make people like me have to switch over consoles because I want to play with my friends. It's it's such a feature that, that has to become a norm in the future. So mm-hmm. make it happen. And I mean, I've been playing like EA NHL for a long time. And that's just one of the one of the features I hope they add. Like I would love for them to add like GM Connected as well. They had that like in NHL 14 and people loved it. And I thought now with the internet so evolved, it would be fun to have like a social media GM connected. That would be awesome. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a feature we've been a lot of people have been clamoring for for a long time. I'm surprised it's they haven't actually put it in the game yet. Like that's the one feature that I think makes is like apart from EASHL is what makes the EA NHL experience so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised it hasn't been brought back. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, yeah, I just hope they bring that back next year uh but we're, we're gonna keep streaming we're gonna uh keep figuring things out i i i think i, t- I said this story on stream but i bought like i originally bought a capture card mm-hmm. to play games so then i could even you know stream uh switch games i thought i could and then best buy lost my order and it's been like a month so i kind of gave up on that and just got a playstation camera just so i can stream playstation games but I still want to stream Switch games, so I got I might look into like cheaper capture cards, or like if there's any mm-hmm. other options. I think we mentioned on stream, but if we could have like a Mario Kart or Smash Bros. tournament, yep. oh, that would be fun. Oh, absolutely. And Online, I think, like uh, a Twitter tournament. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, I think, have a Switch, and it's probably one of the few consoles that a majority of people, at least from uh, from what I've seen on Twitter, seem to have a Switch. So I think. Uh, other than uh, maybe EA NHL or one of the sports games, that's probably something that more people would be willing to do. So, guys, if you're interested in uh, joining in on on a least Twitter uh, Smash tournament or Mario Kart tournament, uh, let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I felt Mario Kart would be awesome. I mean, I don't think you have it yet, right? I highly recommend I'm, you get it. Yo, I'm gonna get it. Either it's way, a, it's, it's not a matter of if; yeah. it's a matter of when. It's an amazing game, either way, but. 
I was thinking like it's a game like you know you can get everyone in at at once you know rather than having to do like a bracket and then wait on matches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. I have to look into that. But even if I don't stream it, like we could still have it. Like I, I feel like that would be really fun, a really fun Absolutely. thing to do, especially during quarantine right now. And I, I did notice. Yeah, you're right. Like uh, a lot of people got switches. Like really, uh, especially with Animal Crossing, a lot of people uh, are playing Animal Crossing and got switches for Animal Crossing. I hear. Switches are like really low on, uh, you know, stock these days because a lot of people are getting it at this time, mm -hmm. um, especially for Animal Crossing. I mean, it's like the perfect quarantine game. Oh, absolutely. And it's just a great way to pass the time. So yeah. it couldn't have come out at a better time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, Nintendo didn't plan for this to happen, but it, I mean, it just happened to this whole pandemic kind of happened to coincide with the release of Animal Crossing. And I mean, it's just boosted uh nintendo sales that that much better that much more hey any hey nintendo if you got any more uh, simulation games uh, upcoming uh probably want to release them now while everyone's still inside oh yeah D the next sims game maybe there you go sims 5 finally <laughs> you know what's the game i don't know if you saw it i don't know if you've played like the tony hawks pro skater games growing up I did. but um yeah they're they're remastering that game like one oh, and two good. yeah on the on the ps4 in september I actually still have the uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 cartridges for the N64 mm -hmm. uh, in my collection. They're still fun games, but I just can't remember the controls. But yeah. actually, it's funny. I recently bought uh, the third game for the PS2, and uh, I'm, I'm going to play that soon. And I'm really I know, excited. I know 1's a favor for a lot of people, 1 and 2. Um, mm -hmm. And I have both of them as well. But I personally, I don't know if it's just because I played it the most, but I personally really like 4 a lot. I love mm -hmm. the soundtrack on that too. Um, if I haven't played that one uh, in comparison to the first three games, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, the third and fourth games were the controls and everything was really refined. And yeah, uh, they really mastered it by then. Yeah, four was on like the PlayStation Two on that generation of uh, consoles, but the level designs were were a, a bit bigger and and more expansive, and it was just really fun. You can build your own skate park, things like that. Oh, I'm looking forward to, to finding a copy of that game. Oh yeah, and then I don't know if you played uh the skate series, EA skate series. Yeah, I did play Those that one too. Those are amazing. Mhm. Mm yeah, I can't remember which skate game I bought, but I bought one game in the series. I enjoyed it a little bit, but then uh, I kind of just came. It was one of those things that came and went. It was awesome. It was like GTA, but with skateboarding. It felt like because you can get off your board and like whack people in the head with your skateboard, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> I remember that, but it was such a it was a fun game. Um, and some ridiculous tricks too. Oh yeah, and people are I mean after after the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater uh remaster announcement, I saw on Twitter like skate was trending and people have been asking for like skate 4 for the longest time. Really? Yeah. I didn't even realize they they made a Oh, I haven't really been the paying third, much attention. <laughs> the then. third one's amazing. Third one's really good. That's the one I think I played I I I really didn't play 1 and 2, but the third one was great. Oh yeah, I did play Skate 3. I think that was the one mm -hmm. I played. Uh, but that series is amazing, and yeah, EA. If you also want to develop uh, Skate Four, like ever, you, there's so many fans waiting on it. Like, it was literally trending on Twitter. Hey, may as well, right? Skates. If skate games become popular again, may as well uh, make it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so we want to keep this uh episode, you know, kind of flow flowing uh today, and and you know we've noticed that the last few episodes have been rather long so uh today mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna try to keep it uh a little concise a little break uh yeah uh 
episode you know what, what do they call it like an anime a filler episode <laughs> uh yeah a filler episode uh like what's it's like the episode where you're in one set room the entire time oh yeah i can't remember <laughs> the name of it but i mean this isn't a filler episode but i mean uh we want to we want to keep it nice and straight to the point um so let's have how about we talk about some things that have been going down in hockey right now yeah i i know we usually save the uh, questions from uh, the fans at the end but there's one question that uh, really stuck out to me and i want to talk about it first uh, mm. it was from mer at mer out loud she asked thoughts on akeem's piece in the player tribune and the ensuing response or lack of response from the nhl player slash media that's a great question thank you mer um I mean, first, I want to hear your thoughts, but uh, I mean, for those of you guys who might not have read the uh, article or don't know what exactly happened, Akeem Alou, uh wrote a piece in the Players' Tribune um, detailing his, uh, his obviously, his history, his experience with uh, facing, you know, uh, racism in hockey, and he's been through a lot, and I really sympathize for him, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, it's basically about his uh experiences in that and his his headline was hockey isn't for everyone and i i do feel like we've been talking about this um that exact sentiment on this podcast mm-hmm. that hockey hockey really isn't for everyone and we're just waiting for or really working towards trying to make it for everyone uh again i, th- I think we spoke about this on last last week's episode uh in in regards to the uh brennan Le- uh, leipzig, leipzig uh uh controversy you know i said the same thing you know when will hockey actually be for everyone because as of right now i don't feel it's for everyone and oh, uh, he harps on that exactly and uh i i loved i loved the article i tweeted you know it's such an amazing uh article by um Akimalu. and mm-hmm. uh yeah i honestly just uh i really like the article and really shares it really shares a like a, a side of hockey that everyone really needs to read and and know about because there's still people in hockey who who you know who discriminate unfortunately either you know uh consciously or unconsciously and mm-hmm. uh something needs to be high, needs to be fixed or something needs to be needs to change so that we can improve and we can work towards you know the common goal of accepting everyone for who they are in hockey um absolutely what are your thoughts on the article it's uh, I, I agree with everything you said, and um, I want to just iterate by with what you were saying that uh, it's uh, that that was an excellent read. I really enjoyed uh, reading that piece uh, all the way through from, and uh, I've really thought that uh, Akeem was a very like he made very compelling points about uh, the lack of diversity in hockey and his very graphic details of uh, the experiences that he went through uh, against uh, like with guys like Steve Downey making his time in the, with the Windsor Smith fires, uh, a, a nightmare. And it's, it's, uh, it really just put, goes to show exactly what you were saying that, uh, there's still a problem with diversity in hockey and that the saying hockey is for everyone is, uh, as, as Akeem put it, it's comical that, uh, the NHL continues to spurt that out. And I think we see more pieces like this and we see more stories like this coming out, especially so close to the Leipzig one. I think, on one hand, I think uh, Akeem was uh, compelled by the uh, response to Leipzig, uh, like people who were uh, like um, upset with what he did. I think that's probably compelled him to want to put this piece out. 
But I think it just goes to show we need more players uh, stepping up because what was the one thing that was trending on Twitter yesterday after Akimalu's story came out? It was Robin Leonard uh, not really uh, defending Alu at all. And uh, I don't remember the words for what he said. It was, but I was uh, pretty uh, surprised and disappointed by not uh, standing up for Akimalu. And it's for a guy that uh, has really rehabilitated his image, uh, it's a, a big step back for him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, like I said, uh, it's if it's consciously or unconsciously, if people have, you know, discriminatory views or if they, you know, if they share those views either consciously or unconsciously or subtly or unsubtly, you know, it kind of all comes across the same. Um, especially for me, like as a person of color, like these things, uh, they are very effective, uh, you know, even subtle things that people say or, or do um, like, uh, like you feel those things. Right. And in hockey, right. hockey is a growing game. It is getting more diverse, but it is nowhere near the point of where it should be um, yeah. yet. And uh, to go back to Murr's question, um, she was asking about uh, what we think about the, um, you know, the ensuing response or the lack of response from the NHL or the players in the media. And uh, I, I, I know real. I noticed how you, you mentioned uh, Robin Lehner. And uh, as if I recall uh, what exactly happened with Rob, Robin Lehner was that he, um, he tweeted or, or people see it as a sub tweet. Um, he, he spoke about, you know, at the worst time of his life, he blamed everyone else and always had an excuse for his problems. And then when he took ownership of his mistakes, that's when he transformed his life to what it is today. Um, he, he basically tweeted uh, along those lines, but he didn't tweet anyone directly, but it's kind of one of those, like, you got to read the room moments, um, Mm -hmm. because he tweeted out at that time, um, you know, whether it's directed towards, um, Akimalu or not, it came out at a very, you know, coincidental time. Yeah. Like those comments are not really fitting when the whole hockey world is talking about, what Akeem Alou has went through, you mm-hmm, know, and it, exactly. it's hard for everyone not to see it as, um, kind of, you know, a subtweet. Um, and whether it was for that or not, of course, uh, if it's a subtweet, that's just a terrible way to read the room or that's, that's a terrible way to put it. Um, and to, to think about the situation. But, uh, I think when you talk about that, um the the only the the problem i had with you know whether robin laner's comments are related to that or not is the fact that again what mer was saying there's a lack of response you know other than what we heard from robin laner which of course was negative mm-hmm. we didn't hear anything from any you know hockey players about akimalu like praising his his article we didn't hear yeah. any players saying wow i love what akimalu said here uh, you know uh, i sympathize for him or or uh, racism, you know, is terrible and things like that. We need to improve the game. Nothing along those lines. And yeah. I think that was the real issue. And uh, what do you think of that? Um, well, remember one of the other things that came out yesterday around the time of a lose article was uh, a poll with players. And uh, one of the things that they were, uh, were really willing to give a full explanation for or response to something was how they didn't want to face Carey Price in the 2014 playoff format, which we will talk about a little bit later on the show. 
But the fact that uh, no one really spoke up for, for Brandon about the Brandon Lysick issue and not one player with the exception of uh, Stephen Jones about 27 minutes ago at the time of recording this podcast, who's actually said something in support of Akima Lou, that kind of really gives uh, fans like who like from a diverse, like a minority background in whatever avenue of life they're from, mm. like it makes them feel like what gives, why are you more concerned about the playoff format and having to face Carey Price than you are about uh, social issues uh, that continue to plague the game. Like, mm-hmm. why does it have to be some uh, a player like St- Stephen Jones that honestly, he's not a household name. Whereas someone like Conor McDavid, who would, if he said something about this article, would resonate a lot more. Because more people like, hey, Conor McDavid, one of the best players in the NHL, cares about social issues. We should really take notice. And I think the fact that we haven't really heard players of, like, like really big name players and not enough of them really speaking up uh, in defense of Akeem Alou, it, it kind of goes to show that uh, there's still a long ways to go for, the, for hockey to be more inclusive from a di- in terms of diversity. And it's pretty sad that uh, not even a week or two after the Brendan Leipzig uh, uh, debate, we're still having the same debate that uh, hockey isn't fully inclusive like we think it is. Mm-hmm. And like, I definitely think, you know, they're, you know, we have this this mindset that to think that, you know, hockey players are, you know, they're obviously the most like, you know, they're they're the most quiet and they just do what they to- they're told and they don't, you know, speak about issues because they just yeah, they just do what they're told. They just play the game and, and that's it, right? They're very, you know, uh straight to the point. But I think this is the time when we need hockey players to speak up about social issues because this is a time where more than ever it's it's very apparent that there's a mm-hmm. diversity issue in hockey and there's lots of issues like that in hockey and it's directly within your own sport so we need people to mm-hmm. stand up and and say something or else the future generations of this sport are just going to be the same you know mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, yeah exactly it, it cha- yeah, we need more players mm-hmm. like Evander Kane because mm-hmm. I just noticed uh, during while you were talking, uh, he also tweeted uh, in support of uh, Akima Lou, and uh, I think uh, that's great because he's a he's a fairly well known player. But uh, what's the one thing about uh, uh, Evander Kane that you notice when you look at him? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it's uh, of course you know people of color are going to support uh, you know the 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 fight against racism and social issues, but. Again, yes. I mean, it's 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 obvious that hockey is a predominantly white sport by a large margin, and uh, you know, if 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 there there can be a lot of support, you know, from white players, and you know, just a more general acceptance and and you know, general uh, you know, sympathy from players across the league to you know back um, Akimalu. You know, it can it can make a lot. It can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I think uh, if more players come out in support of Akimalu, I think it'll be a positive first step in the game's a uh, long fight towards uh, making the game much more inclusive. And I think uh, we need to have bigger players, like bigger stars, that uh, are the face of the league right now. Like we need guys like Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, uh, Mitch Marner, uh, Connor McDavid, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Maybe Nathan McKinnon or Sidney Crosby, anyone who has a faith, who are one of the faces of the league, has to step up. Because if they step up, then the rest of the league will follow suit. 
And I think that that's something that we these players don't fully understand, or maybe they do and they just don't use it in other areas besides uh, like their marketing image and their brand, is that if they speak out on social issues, more people will pay attention to it and will give it the respect and attention it deserves. Because mm-hmm. I think that this is what needs to happen for uh, the game to become more inclusive. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I really sympathize with Akeem Alou and and with black hockey players and just colored hockey players in general because uh being in a minority it's obviously hard to break through in in a you know in an arena where it's uh you know it's not the type of you know it's not it's not easy to identify with uh people there and Mm -hmm. uh i can only imagine it gets even harder you know when it when you're trying to break into the nhl or even the ohl you know and um the the margin is so thin of of you know colored people you know to white people and it, it's just very difficult to identify and, and relate um with with people at, at some point and, and the discrimination really does happen um i do want to mention that i mean like um just last semester first uh i wrote an article about uh you know being a black hockey player um and how it's a unique experience and how they they face a lot of adversity um but mm-hmm. it's also it can also often be empowering and i mean it's it's an empowering thing because once you come into yourself and you you um you learn to identify yourself and be proud of who you are in hockey um it's a very empowering thing but when i i spoke to uh shout out to uh krishanda green and jacob camps uh, of the ryerson rams who i spoke to and they both told me their um their uh experiences as a black hockey player and the things they've went through were, were really you know really kind of messed up um what people said to them growing up um just because they were playing the same sport that everyone loves um mm-hmm. you know it's 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 really it's really tough to hear and the, advers- the adversity they have to face but yeah once uh once they of course i'm not saying it, it's easy to it's definitely not easy to empower yourself but um mm-hmm. it can also be an empowering thing but if you want to read that that's pinned on my twitter but um just i've since i've been following that beat and i've been you know uh you know i've been working on that um this year and then and then this happens and we kind of obviously we the kimalu story kind of started last year as well um in the Mm -hmm. beginning of the season it's just been really hard to see and, and just been really hard to see how you know how there's not so much there's not as much support as you'd originally expect backing him you know like this is this should be in i i think it should be like unanimously supported by the rest of the players but the fact that we're seeing a lack of a support still bugs me exactly and uh i want i want to just reiterate what matthew said please read his piece uh on the ryersonian it's an excellent read i've read it myself uh i really enjoyed reading it and i think it's uh again like all these other stories that have been coming out the past year about uh, minority players uh, in hockey sharing their stories and hardships that they had to deal with uh, in the game. Like it's, it parallels a lot of things that we were talking about uh, in the past about uh, guys like uh, Wayne Simmons, who uh, if you recall back in 2011, I may have mentioned this before on a previous podcast episode, but where he was in a preseason game and a fan uh, threw a banana on the field on the ice just before he was about to to shoot a shot uh in the shootout which was uh he, he was uh, very appalled by it and very disgusted 
by by that action. And I'm sure there's been mm-hmm. other incidents like that uh, with other players. So, and oh, oh and also um, some uh, racist uh, remarks uh, that were thrown at uh, both Joel Ward and PK Subban after each of them scored a big goal against the Boston Bruins in Boston. Like, there's two separate stories, not too far far from one another, where people are talking about how Bruins fans, some Bruins fans, not all of them, but some had some uh, some racist remarks thrown towards both players because an African-American and a Canadian-American, both Canadian-American player uh, scored a big goal against the Boston Bruins. And uh, that just really goes to show that uh, we don't have enough stories like this coming out. And I'm sure there's a lot more that we don't know about. And mm-hmm. it's like we were saying at the very beginning, how many more stories like this have to come out before there's a real change is happening? Because uh, we've now, like I said earlier, there's been now what? Two, it's like two or three weeks away from uh, the Brandon Leipzig story. And then this comes out. And again, hockey players don't really show enough support to it. We need more changes. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Um, I did want to bring up, uh, I just want to read to you um, a series of tweets that I saw um, that kind of just, we want to close out this point and this question. Um, but this is just about the, I saw this this morning about the lack of, uh, a lack of, you know, open support from players or vocal support, because I do want to say, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of players who, uh, who, who do support Akeem Alou. Um, the only thing is they haven't went public or, you know, tweeted out anything or, or, ma- or made any public statements about it. And I, I know there are people who are saying, you know, so what, you know, I don't need the like players to, why do they have to, um, openly say something right there are people who might think that but i mean believe it or not like when if a white player especially a very popular um player makes a comment supporting something like this like it it has a really big ripple effect in a positive way i mean i mean you want you know to put you you want to know that these kind of things are being backed by big players because maybe then it'll make even more players want to support it or even make some fans want to support it. Like the, the amount of influence these players have is crazy. And that's why um, it, it would be such a special thing if the, if, if there can be more support for it. But I do want yeah. to read you this series of tweets. So da- Daniel Wagner, um, who is, a, I believe, a, a Canucks writer, um, he tweeted out, is it too much to ask for just one white NHLer to tweet something like what Akeem Alou went through is unacceptable. We have to do better. I stand with Alou against racism and hockey, which is exactly what we're talking about. I mean, that would be, mm-hmm. that would be uh, obviously, I mean, I mean, I, I, I wish I could just expect players to do that, but right now it's, it hasn't really happened a lot. So, um, we, we just hope that, you know, a, a big NHLer would do that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, Salim uh, Nadim Val- Valji, who's a uh, a New York Times writer, um, he quote tweeted that and he said, it is too much apparently. I've reached out to at least six NHLers, including Crosby and McDavid, multiple times this season as- asking to chat about race and been rejected. The Penn's PR said, I'm not sure why you are pushing this with us. I've asked NHL why players remain silent and not gotten a response. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, I think it's exactly what we were talking about before. We need more players to speak up about, uh, 
racial uh, issues or just uh, is social issues in general. And the fact that players are uh, not willing to uh, do that is, uh, it's, or at least not comfortable doing that, is, it just goes to show, like I was saying, there's still a lot more work to be done to make a hockey feel more inclusive. But if there's one silver lining is we're starting to see more players uh, speak up. Like just now, Daniel Carcillo, who used to be an NHL player, but now he's a, a mental health advocate, he uh, admitted to, uh, he, like, here's what he said, uh, word for word. I was guilty of the racism that Akeem wishes to eradicate from hockey by transparently sharing his experience in an effort to improve the sport. I stand with Akeem Alou against, ra- against racism in hockey. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just one player, and uh, it's great that he's uh, owning up to his mistakes and uh, not offering any excuses for his actions. But that's just one player, and Daniel Carcillo, I'm sorry, is not a big household name. That's a great start, but we need more than just him to uh, really make this issue known as a problem and how we're going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Carcillo has been making, he's been speaking a lot about, you know, uh, a lot of issues in the NHL recently in a great way, but. Um, like you said, he's not a household name, but and he, he's a former player as well. Um, and ideally, we would want you know a, a current star player to, to to back or to support these uh, the fight against these these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to give my quick thoughts just to close out this question. But um, when I read that tweet that I just read to you, um, the thing that that did really annoy me I guess or or did bug me was the fact that I mean you could see when when uh Salim tweeted out that you know he asked especially the Penn's PR and they said I'm not sure why you're pushing this with us um I don't know like it 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 seems like even ha like they keep harping the fact that hockey is for everyone or you know using that slogan but when you treat you know, race issues as a taboo still. Um, there's definitely an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're saying, "Why are you pushing this with us?" I mean, I mean, people, you could, you can go and ask hockey player a million times about, you know, uh, what, you, like, what are you gonna do about, um, you know, like your losing streak, or what are you gonna do to improve next week, uh, for next game, or even like. I don't know. They, the, 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 the questions we always get hockey players, you know, when they get traded to a city, you know, what do you like about the new city? Things like that, that you always hear. But when you want to ask a real question like that, or ask about race issues that apparently the NHL prides itself on, on supporting. And when you say, why are you pushing this with us? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, why are they treating it? Like it's, you know, something that shouldn't be spoken about. Exactly. And I think that, um, it really just goes back to what we both agree on that um, if we really want to make this issue uh, uh, go or at least uh, become like make hockey become more inclusive, like we think it should be when we, when we see the phrase hockey is for everyone, it really just starts at the top and it works away and at the bottom as well. First thing that Akima Lu said, like in the article, and I think it really goes, uh, I think I agree with it wholeheartedly is you need to change the culture at the beginning and uh, how the players are treated and how they act. Because if uh, if there's more inclusive, like more inclusivity at the bottom, it'll work, slowly work its way towards the top when eventually more kids down the line will see, hey, this is an inclusive sport with more players who uh, have a lot of mix of diversities. Yes, of course, 
we have, if you look at the back of the last names and uh, the origins of some of the players, they're from different countries. But that, but for for most people, we don't see the full list of diversity in hockey. And I think that that's something that we still need to work towards. So when we see stories like Akeem Lou coming out again, it's going to be um, imperative that the NHL and players really take this seriously and uh, make sweep start to make changes with the way that they act and the way they handle social issues. Because why and why is it that the NBA is so popular? Because all the players are uh, very marketable. The players are uh, it's it's an entertaining sport, but also because the players are some of the players are not afraid to talk about social issues. Mm-hmm. For sure, I 100% agree, and I, I really do think, uh, like we said last week, you know this. These problems in hockey culture, which are definitely apparent. I mean, like I said last week, we've both grew up playing hockey, you know, even even for a short amount of time. And uh, you can see what, you know, especially kids are kind of the culture that they kind of grow up in. And uh, it, it starts down there. And if, if things change down there, then the, the next generation will change and it'll repeat itself for the next generation, hopefully improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to work towards that. I think most importantly, mm-hmm. and then big players backing it will only influence those kids of the next generation. Yeah. Um, I, th- I know that's a really long, uh, answer, uh, for Timur's question, but I think, uh, what we really, what we're really trying to say is, uh, we are, uh, surpri- we are n- disappointed, but yet not surprised by the lack of responses from NHL players. And we hope that, uh, more players will start to realize that it's important to speak up on social issues. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely obviously not surprised because uh, this keeps happening. And uh, I mean, this is the second week in a row, you know, we've had to talk about, you know, some controversy of some kind, but uh, we will uh, obviously work towards, or we definitely have to keep working towards that common goal of, inclu- of making sure everyone feels included in this, in this, in the space, in the hockey space. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I think uh, we have a long ways to go, but uh, I'm hope- hope- hopeful that one day we will be able to say the phrase hockey is for everyone and uh, not feel like it's a joke, but it actually is true. A hundred percent. Let's keep the podcast moving along now with uh, a, a, a few more things that happen in the hockey world as well. Um, the Toronto has a, a new NWHL team. Obviously uh, we, mm-hmm. we talked about this news before, um, when we had, uh, you know, we had their goalie Elaine Chuli on, um, on the podcast a few episodes ago, and she was she was amazing, and uh, it's amazing that, uh, you know, Toronto's getting a new NWHL team. Uh, I'm definitely going to support them, of course, and mm-hmm. uh, they revealed their new uh, team name and logo. And I remember I've been I, I was kind of we were we've been talking about what what should their team name be? Uh, mm-hmm. You want the Huskies? I want like the Titans. Um, and we and and uh, we wanted all those things, but they finally unveiled it, and I really like it. And I sent, I remember I sent it to you immediately when I first saw it. Um, but mm-hmm. the team will be called the Toronto Six, and their 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 logo is really nice. Like if you haven't checked it out already, um, check it out on Twitter. Their tw- uh, their Twitter is at the Toronto Six, and uh, it's like a it's a six, but at the top it has the little line to make it a T. So it's like a T and a six but it also makes an o in the six which is pretty cool yeah i mean i'm personally not a huge fan of the name and that's maybe just me i don't know how many other people feel the same way as i do 
I understand the appeal. I think the logo looks really nice. I'll give that credit to the designers of the logo. But uh, I'm going to need to grow, uh, like, the name needs to grow on me because I... What don't you I like about it? it? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, the fact that it's just called Six. Why not call it the Toronto Sixers? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's the Toronto, the Philadelphia 76ers or uh, the Ottawa 67ers or something like that. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of just the way that they worded it. It just seems odd to me. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll come to like it. And I mean, I'm looking at the jersey concepts that they're, they're coming up with. They look nice. But again, this is just me. And I'm repeating myself here again. I just don't, I'm, the name's not really clicking with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sixers would have been great too. Um, I do like the name. I think it's catchy. And uh, of course it plays on, you know, the the nickname Toronto has, which is the six, which came, came from Drake and plays on the six boroughs uh, or the six districts that Toronto has. Um, and also the phone number. But uh, it's it's obviously playing on that. And I think it, it, it makes it really easy, you know, for fans to be drawn to it because you know it, it kind of has that um i guess that hip um vibe to it mm-hmm. and uh I, I like the name and i like the jersey concepts and i definitely i'll definitely be picking up some merch um but yeah i mean uh i, I like the name uh, of course you're gonna the, the name's hopefully gonna grow on you but either way i'm excited for the team um i know yeah. you're excited for the team as well um so we'll see uh how uh, once sport, once we get sports back, of course, um, how the Toronto Six play the season. Yeah, exactly. And don't get it twisted, guys. Just because I'm don't I'm not a huge fan of the name, that doesn't mean I'm not excited for the team as a whole. Because because uh, it's far from it. I am excited for this team and uh, what they're going to be doing this season. And it's just a refreshing uh, take again because we have women's hockey back in pro women's hockey back in the city again, and yet another team for us to cheer for and talk about. I'm always excited about that. But like I said. I'm not a huge fan of the name. I wish they worded it a little bit differently, but I get what they were going for. For sure. Um, in other news, uh, the the NHL has uh, reportedly been working towards that uh, 24 team format um, for the playoffs. Um, should they resume the season? Um, I want to know what your thoughts on that is. Uh, super quickly. No. <laughs> that's that's my thoughts on uh the playoff the, the proposed playoff format not i don't want to answer it <laughs> uh no i'm just not a huge fan of it i don't like the idea of having a bunch of teams uh having a play-in for a for a playoff spot and it just it's kind of a waste of time in my opinion it's it's a bit of a gimmick i i just don't really see the appeal other than for money for the nhl at this point the longer it takes for the season to resume the more likely I think it would be uh, better to just go straight into the playoffs because this is unprecedented times. I understand that they're trying different things, but at this point, you just got to accept the fact that the majority of the season has been played. I think the majority of the teams that are in, were in a playoff spot were going to make it in any way. The teams that are just outside the playoffs were probably not going to make it. Maybe they were. Who knows? The NHL is unpredictable. We already know that. But I just don't. I don't see the appeal of a 2014 format because i don't feel like it's fair to everyone involved i agree and i think when this whole pandemic came about and we were talking about possibilities for formats i mean i think the one thing we kind of had to agree on was the fact that you know yeah like some whatever format they come up with some teams are going to be upset some teams are going to be happy right i think we have to face that um, whether they, you know, they choose the the regular format, you know, the teams who are just out of it are going to be upset 
or with this format teams who of course you know had to work for that uh playoff uh spot and let's say they get knocked out by a team who wasn't supposed to be there initially um that's gonna really bite them you know but we kind of have to face that this year is going to be odd for sure mm-hmm. and next but, year's going to be odd too oh for sure but i definitely i'm with you there that i don't think this is the way to go i know they're trying to get creative with uh, what they have here in this situation. But, um, you know, I think we spoke about this a little on my stream when we were streaming, but um, the the whole format, it's, I think throughout the season, most teams that were going to make the playoffs or even the teams that were just out, most teams had their chance to get a playoff spot. And they didn't, you know, teams like Florida. I mean, the Leafs have been, the Leafs almost like, you know, the, the whole 18 wheeler almost fell off the cliff at one point. Um, and Florida just wasn't Florida also just wasn't taking the free playoff spot that the Leafs were giving up at the time. Um, and you know, other teams are like that as well. Like New York Islanders, um, they've kind of fallen off too. And, uh, of course they'd be mad if they had to, miss out on the playoffs because of the matter of a few games that they were unable to play. But I really just feel like, you know, maybe there's a couple teams that really deserve uh, the chance to make the playoffs. Teams like, you know, the New York Rangers who were trending upwards near the end of the season. And, uh, and uh, I just, I feel like they, you know, if anything, maybe they deserve to make it in. The thing I don't like about the 24 team format is that, if there are only about about two to three teams that might deserve to make it in, why are you including you know a whole a whole nother whatever like uh, eight a whole nother eight teams you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it might just and look be at too the standings, much. Too. Look mm. at the standings too. Montreal would just barely make it in as uh, a team that was ten points out of the final playoff spot. Ten. And they had more games played than the rest of the teams that are in the wild card and uh, just just outside of it. Like, why does Montreal does it? Like, how come you, you can uh, give gift Montreal a playoff spot that they don't really deserve? And you also do the same thing for Chicago, other mm-hmm. than money. Mm-hmm. Money is really the primary driving factor in this decision, and I'm not a big fan of it. I think there's a the, the best way, honestly, in my opinion, to go about this is to just start with the playoffs right away. Because look at it. The majority of the season had been played. There's only like, what, 12, 13 games or so left to play Mm -hmm. for most of these teams. There's no way those games are going to be played. I think we have to accept that at this point. Just start the playoffs and let the teams accept that maybe this year was a little bit different compared to years past. And just uh, hopefully next year uh, things go about as normal. I mean, like, I don't know. What if they add like another wild card spot or something like that? And then they have like a wild card elimination game for a team to move on just yeah you know not have to make it a whole full-on series or, or implement them into the playoff format you know a whole another eight teams into the playoff format in some way just add one one spot maybe per per conference just like they do in baseball and have one you know one elimination game uh and that team gets to actually get into the bracket yeah i think the one thing that i would do would make it so that the uh the top three teams in each division get a bye, but the uh, teams that are like the wildcard teams get a chance to compete against each other for the last two wildcard spots to make it fair for the teams that are just outside. 
So maybe like the teams are with that within five points or more or, or, or less get a chance to compete. So that way, uh, like I said, those teams do get a chance and they're like, hey, at least they, they gave us an opportunity to try and get into the playoffs instead of just like leaving us out. But uh, it's, it's just a hard, this is the thing though. There's no real answer that's going to be uh, satisfying for everybody. If, if it's like you said earlier, if we do the 16 team forum, which I think should be the way to go, teams like the Panthers, the Rangers, uh, possibly even the Canucks and the Wild are going to be upset by this decision. 100%. I, I definitely agree. Um, either way, I, I just I, I just want to wrap up the point, but uh, I, I just think in this, in this season, you know, teams are going to be happy and teams are not going to be happy no matter what format they go with. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that you're trying to appeal to, you know, the teams that are just outside of the playoffs, but I don't think you should expand it up for up to eight teams, you know? Um, so we'll see. I don't think they should use the 24 team format, but we'll see how they, how the NHL decides to run it. It's not too late to change their minds, guys. Uh, if you're the, anyone from the NHL uh, head office listening, uh, guys, <laughs> I think the public's perception of it has not been positive. So it might be a good idea to try and change it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, we'll move on because I, I want to keep this, again, I want to keep this podcast uh, flowing nicely. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to some basketball news. Yes, and we have had some developments uh, in uh, the NBA's resumption of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before uh, we started recording the podcast, uh, a tweet came off from Shams, who was one of the uh, most reliable sources mm-hmm. for breaking Shams, news in the Shams NBA. Shrania, yeah. Thank you. Um, he tweeted out uh, along the lines that the NBA is strongly considering the idea of uh, having the resumption of play happening at uh, Walt Disney World. And we've talked about this on previous uh, episodes about uh, why that makes a lot of sense as a place to do it. Because not only is it a very big resort uh, that's in a private location that can be closed off to the public and only allow yeah, players I mean, and the staff. Disney's, Disney World's also closed right now, so it's not like they have to worry about you know, the park actually functioning at the same time. Yeah, exactly. But there's also a lot of uh, facilities for the players to, to rest in. Like Disney World, we people sometimes forget this. It's huge. And there's a lot of hotels and some decent hotels too. So the players are not going into some motel kind of area where they sleep. There's some quality places for them to get some rest uh, while in between games. So if we're going to assume that they're going to just go straight into the playoffs, which I believe is the plan anyway, they can make that work in that one area. The only question I have, though, is uh, are there going to be multiple basketball courts uh, on the on the in Walt Disney World so that there's uh, multiple games played each day instead of just like having only one and then they have to scramble have a bunch of games there. I know. I I do believe. Uh, I think I read that Walt Disney World does have um, a ton of sports facilities on their on their grounds, and I mean. Walt Disney World is huge. It's like a little city on its own, very closed off. Um, and that's why it's favored over, you know, places like Las Vegas where, you know, I mean, of course it's a whole city, but you can't, you can't control the amount of people that go in and out Las Vegas, but you can control the amount of people that go in and out of Walt Disney World because it's private. So that's why it would be perfect. The Orlando Magic have their facilities as well and their arena right downtown in Orlando. Um mm-hmm. So that's an added bonus. And uh, yeah, I just think it, it makes a ton of sense. And honestly, I think, I mean, I almost forgot that uh, Walt Disney World owns ESPN or Walt Disney, the Walt Disney company. 
And um, I believe on the grounds of Walt Disney World, they have like ESPN has, uh, I think it's called like the wild wide world of sports, Disney's wide world of sports or something like that. So I'm sure that they have the broadcasting um, facilities or the broadcasting, um, you know, equipment and things like that, that they need to run, um, you know, the broadcast for the games already right there. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And yes, uh, that you make a great point with the broadcasting. Uh, one thing that uh, is very well known publicly is that ESPN is owned by Disney. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there used to be, if not, there still is uh, a facility dedicated to ESPN or like a restaurant dedicated to ESPN uh, in Walt Disney World. So it make, it's very easy for uh, both parties to make it work because like they, they're already connected to one another in uh, one way, shape, or form. Even though there's uh, multiple broadcasters that they have to use uh, when they broadcast uh, NBA games, like TNT is uh, another big one that gets uh, some broadcasting rights. Uh, but I think in general, if, if they're only going to use ESPN for the entirety of the uh, NBA playoffs, which is, I'm guessing, the plan, it, it's, it can be easily done. And uh, it's the only thing that really sucks is that there isn't enough uh, hockey rinks, as far as I'm aware, at uh, Walt Disney World, even though there's a lot of uh, sporting facilities, like you said. Because if that's the case, I think that'd be a great spot for the NHL to play as well. I 100% agree. Um, we'll see where they ov- obviously decide to uh, continue play, if they do continue play. But I think Walt Disney World right now is actually the best, um, the best place to do it. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about uh, a documentary that has just wrapped mm-hmm. up this past week. Uh, we we were talking about it a bit on the stream, but I wanted to go in a little a little bit more. Uh, the Last Dance. Uh, if you have guys, if you get any listener who's listening right now hasn't gotten a chance to watch it, find a way to watch it if you can. It's on if Netflix. Yeah, yeah, it, Netflix in Canada for sure. Uh, definitely uh, give it a watch because it is a probably one of the best sports documentaries that have ever been made. I think one of the best. I mean, a lot of people are saying one of the best documentaries ever made. I mean, Ooh. I don't know if that's reaching, but let's just say it was really, really, really good. It was amazing. Ten episodes kept me intrigued every single minute of it. Um, and it really just solidifies Michael Jordan's legacy. Like, I already, you know, I mean, with the whole GOAT debate, I already knew Michael Jordan's the GOAT. Uh, don't don't argue with me on that, but I think this really solidified that case for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree, and I I really just enjoyed the uh, the the way that they uh, built each episode. The editing was fantastic. There were so many uh, funny moments that became memes. Uh, one of the funniest ones, uh, at least, came on the last episode, was of uh, Michael Jordan uh, dancing <laughs> to Kenny Lattimore's music, which we we discovered what the what the actual song was, but. Uh, I think I like the the memes of uh, him dancing to a bunch of other songs. Yeah, I, I, you you uh, you showed me that Twitter account. I think it was uh, Michael Jordan jamming out or something like that. But that's funny. Um, but definitely, the last dance was amazing. Um, there were so many great moments. Like it just really, just not even on just Michael Jordan's legacy, but it talked about pretty much every single aspect of the Chicago Bulls dynasty for the most part. You know. Um, they had major episodes for, of course, um, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson, um, Jerry Krause, um, pretty much everyone that was a part of those uh, 
not just the dynasty, but everything leading up to the dynasty as well, and pretty much the whole Michael Jordan era. Um, and I think it was amazing. I, I, there were just so many. One of the one of my favorite moments I saw was, you know, it was crazy though when he was filming Space Jam, he was having these insanely talented ball runs at the Warner Brothers Studios mm-hmm. with like the best players in the game, and he'd use that. Michael Jordan would use that to gain insight on how they play um, that he could use for the season. I just I just found that crazy. I mean, everything Michael Jordan did was you know strategic or pushed him or had 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 a reason for him to want to do things because he wanted to push himself to be the greatest absolutely and i i just just enjoyed the inner workings and the behind the scene clips Uh, it just really makes you feel like you're in on the uh the season and uh just just like behind the scenes like we we enjoy those documentaries like uh nhl 24 7 because you get to see what it's like uh, behind the curtains, uh, what goes on inside the locker rooms uh, when the coaches give their uh, speeches to the players. I feel like those are really cool. Like as a sports fan, you get to see the inner workings of it. But uh, for this one, especially like it's so well-crafted and easily uh, they flow together extremely well. And that's what I thought really made for me the pot, the, uh, the documentary. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But it was great. And I mean, I love to see, I mean, good luck to the next people, like like the next person or, or filmmakers who decide to try and make a documentary because it's or a sports <laughs> documentary. Because I feel like this one will go up there in history and and kind of set a precedent for everything after it now. But um, I would love to see you know documentaries come out about um, either other players or other other team seasons or things like that. Uh, maybe the three-peat Lakers, uh, maybe what broke that up. I, I believe they they filmed, uh, I believe there was word that they filmed uh, the final season of Kobe Bryant's season, or final season of Kobe Bryant's career. Um, but we probably won't see that footage for a long, long time anyways. But yeah, exactly. that would be amazing too. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. This one's a bit of a, a out there uh, suggestion, but uh, I think if there's one thing that'd be interesting, it'd be, a, a documentary based on a, a losing team and one C Leafs team that uh, always uh, sticks out in my mind as it's it's very fascinating in a in just like how that season fell apart was the 2011-2012 team uh, for some reason I'm always interested mm-hmm. in that team just like watching like how that team went from being in the playoff conversation to about like uh looking up the draft lottery mm, bottom out yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. that's it's like the season that people get uh triggered in the month of february and march because the least like oh at least are in the playoff conversation all the time nope there they go they're gone mm-hmm. 2014 um, to 15 as well they kind of fell off off the cliff mm-hmm. there as well yeah mm-hmm. um just before we move on i just want to give a shout out to uh some of my uh colleagues uh in, in from Centennial, uh, Bowen Asmund, uh, Mark Oliviera, Dan- Daniel Rainblad, and I know I'm going to put you this one, Abdul Abraham. I think I said that wrong. I apologize, Abdul. Uh, they have a podcast called the All Hustle Podcast, and the first four episodes of their podcast go in-depth on uh, a bunch of episodes of the, the Last Dance. So if you are uh, catching up on the uh, pod, on the, on the documentary and want some a bit of a in-depth analysis of each episode, uh, definitely check them out. Uh, they they're a great. Listen, mm-hmm. check check their podcasts out. Um, and uh, definitely watch the Last Dance. If anything, I think uh, 
yeah, I definitely think it's worth the watch. It was amazing. Kept us entertained through quarantine. Um, Michael, I do want to ask you while we're going on with basketball, um, just quickly to wrap up our basketball uh, talk, which teams do you think could benefit from this pause? Benefit hmm. the most? Well, if they're if we're going to do if the NBA is going to do have every team resume play, it's obvious the the easy answer is the Golden State Warriors because we we've talked about uh, all the injuries that they've uh, had to deal with throughout the season, and if they get a chance to resume play, uh, even though they've been eliminated from playoff contention, uh, certainly teams are going to be scared of uh, the Golden State Warriors. Like this is a team that made the finals for what the last five years in a row and almost won another championship this past year, save for uh, the the Raptors and their impressive run of their own. Uh, that's definitely one team in my mind that would really benefit from a, a long pause. But I guess uh, if we're really talk, looking at the rest of the uh, the standings, uh, potentially the Houston Rockets, so that the chemistry between uh, Russell Rusburg and uh, James Harden can really be fleshed out. Potentially the Denver Nuggets, potentially the LA Clippers, because again, the chemistry uh, gets built during that time. Um, and potentially the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I always think of teams that uh, have new players that have just arrived uh, this past season. The time off really gives them a chance to develop the relationships uh, off the court, and I think that those are the type of teams that uh, would benefit the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I like your point about the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I do want to say quickly about the Golden State Warriors while we're talking about them. Uh, I was always scared of them this season for an opposite reason than everyone else. Um, this season has been their tank season. And uh, <laughs> I, I compare their season to the, uh, I believe, the 98 uh, San Antonio Spurs, mm-hmm. who uh, they didn't tank, but uh, similar similar case, they had injuries to their star players, went down, uh, bottomed out, won the draft lottery, and drafted uh, someone you guys might know. His name is uh, Tim Duncan and won the championship the very next season. And we know that the Golden State Warriors are a finals-caliber team, a championship-caliber team, even without Kevin Durant. And if they get the first overall pick, which they're kind of gunning for right now, and let's say they draft, I don't know, anyone in the top three, or even especially James Wiseman, who's a you know an elite center, who, which uh, the Warriors have been lacking a true center for a while and mm-hmm. is the real piece that they need again. Then look at that. They potentially have their three all-stars plus another all-star, possibly even a better all-star or star player in the future, um, just like that, and they can go straight up to contention right away. Um, and so I think that's going to be crazy if they if win the, the draft West, lottery. If the West was already tightly contested enough as, as it already was, uh, imagine the Golden State Warriors fully healthy with said prospect that you were talking about. All of a sudden, any team that's outside of maybe like the top five or six have no chance. They have, they'll have zero up chance of uh, making a dent unless some crazy fluke happens where the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and Jazz, and uh, then the Golden State Warriors and potentially the Mavericks just like fail to achieve their reach their potential. That and I don't see that happening because we rarely see uh, upsets in the, the NBA. So mm-hmm. good luck to any team in the West that's trying to compete. <laughs> For sure. Um, but other than that, I think the teams that come up off the top of my head. Um, in terms of injuries, uh, who can benefit most from this break? One team that really jumps out is uh, the Pelicans. I mean, uh, especially with Zion, who's been injured for most of the season. Obviously, he's back now, but I think given that extra time to both 
uh, Zion and even Lonzo, who's had uh, injury problems in the past. Um, I think having them ready to go once the season resumes, considering that they're on the cusp of playoffs as well, um, having fo- them fully rested could really make a difference, considering that, you know, a Zion Williamson-led Pelicans team has been, has you know, just shot up in the standings and been making a playoff push um, mm-hmm. recently. And other than that, I mean, I would say the Brooklyn Nets, but I know, I yeah. do know, I think I saw that Kevin Durant... Uh, said even with the pause, he wouldn't be back this season. Um, so I, I don't think it affects them as much. But like you said, yes, the Clippers, the Rockets, the Heat, um, even the Raptors who've had a lot of uh, injury troubles. Yeah, exactly. And uh, potentially the uh, Washington Wizard, even though I'm not sure how close John Wall is to returning uh, this season. And they've had a pretty rough uh, season uh, considering uh, where they were just a few years ago. But uh, if you look at the standings, they're in, they're in ninth place. They're only mm-hmm. what a couple of games back of the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Even though the the East is still much weaker compared to the West, if the Wizards go back and they're fully healthy and they still they still have Bradley Beal, that could give some uh, teams at the top a little bit of fits. Even if it's not going to be a easy road to the finals, for sure, a hundred percent. We'll move on uh, from basketball news. Uh... I believe you have some uh, other general sports news that we can talk about before uh, we'll go into our little redraft for, um, at the end of the episode. Uh, yes, uh, uh, we just saw this past week a uh, Bundesliga, which is a German soccer league, uh, resume play, and we already, we've already discussed uh, KBO is uh, like the baseball league in Korea that's already resumed play, but Bundesliga is one of the most well-known uh, football soccer leagues uh, on the planet. And they've uh, resumed play, and it's worked out perfectly. I actually saw a bit of highlights from the very first game that was played since uh, resumption of uh, of play could 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 proceed, and uh, they did a very good job. Uh, they, I believe, they were the ball was disinfected at halftime. Uh, the players kept their distance. They didn't really engage with each other too much. Uh, obviously, there was no one in the stands, and it didn't really matter because the focus was really on the play and not so much on the crowd noise. As much as we'd like to. Uh, hear noise in the crowd uh i think it's just more on the play and uh i think it was a, a well done uh this product and i think i i, I want to ask you this do you think the way bundesliga has a uh, resumed play and the way they've uh, organized themselves uh since uh covid19 should be the model for other north american sports leagues to follow i mean i didn't i'll admit i didn't get to really catch the games that much uh this weekend but uh i did see clips and uh photos from it and obviously everyone was tweeting about it but um of course they're setting up they're just setting a precedent for um sports moving forward i mean uh fans playing with no i mean players playing with no fans in in attendance for one and uh, just the fact that they've been able to run their league in a healthy way um it definitely just sets a precedent for uh for leagues uh in the future yeah exactly and what i like about it it's that it gives uh, other leagues that are uh, trying to resume play a blueprint for uh, mm-hmm. what 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 should be done how they can uh, organize uh play uh like and without fans because let's face it until we know uh, there's a vaccine or the virus has been uh, like the, the the threat of the virus has uh, gone down enough that it's similar to where we were uh back in January February uh we're going to have to play, leagues are going to be have to play without fans for the foreseeable future 
And I, like I said uh, at the top, I think Bundesliga did a great job of uh, resuming play, and I think uh, that's the model going forward. 100% agree. Um, so with that, I think we'll take a break, um, and then we'll get into our NHL redraft of the uh, 2011 draft. Ooh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited as well. We'll take a quick break because we've been talking for quite a while, and then uh, we'll be right back. back um now uh it's time for our 2011 nhl redraft last uh last episode we did our redraft of the 2010 nhl draft and uh that went pretty good yes it did i really enjoyed that and i'm really excited for this one because this one uh i mean the last draft was uh pretty tightly contested because there's a lot of great players but uh this one's also going to be a little bit tricky as well Mm -hmm, i agree um, this one will be tricky. I know last last episode I kind of mentioned that it wasn't a strong draft, but it actually is a really strong draft. But what I meant was that um, that the the top picks in that draft um, really like it, it was it wasn't that deep. The, the the top the top of the top of the draft wasn't that deep, and then mm-hmm. when you got farther and farther down the draft, actually like a lot a lot changed in this draft. You know, a lot of uh, there are a lot of gems in this draft, a lot of players uh, later on that were taking that were what honestly shoot up to the top of the draft in a redraft. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what I meant by, you know, it wasn't deep as in, the you know, that that first, those initial top picks weren't the strongest um, when you look at the entire draft as a whole. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that the 2010 is going to be, players from the 2010 draft are going to continue to, uh, make a positive impact on the league in terms of uh, just production for a long time. And I think the same can be said about this draft, especially who we think is going to go first. I, I already have an idea of who's going to go first in the redraft, but oh, uh, yeah. I'm not going to say it. I mean, I do want to, I do want to give a shout out to uh, the NHL first. Um, last, uh, I believe was it last week or it was some, sometime uh, recently, uh, yeah. I think it was in the beginning of the month. They did a read the NHL on their website did a redraft of uh, the 2011 draft, and there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, I wouldn't say controversy, but a lot of uh, negative reception to their their picks. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I want to see if uh, I'll I'll reveal theirs at the end of uh, our redraft, but I want to see how ours shapes up um, compared to theirs. I think that yeah. would be interesting. Um, um... Before we do start, though, remember how earlier in the episode we were talking about uh, the TV Tribune about like episodes being in one spot? I figured out the definition. It's a bottle episode. Okay, there we go. Um, little, little, the more you know for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, last last uh, draft, you had the first overall pick, so I believe we agreed that this time I'll have the first overall pick, and then we'll just alternate uh, every episode um and every draft like that yep let's do it okay so um i think it's pretty much a no-brainer for this draft who's who would go first overall in a redraft um and with the first overall pick i'm going to be taking nikita kucherov that one's a no-brainer and i think he's probably one of the best examples of a uh like late picks uh later picks in the, the draft that uh 
turn out really well. And I think it's uh, this one was pretty easy because uh, this is no disrespect to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but I think he probably shouldn't have gone first overall. Mm-hmm. And I understand why at the time the uh, Oilers wanted to do it. They needed a, a center like to build to their franchise. Around. Yeah, to compliment Taylor Hall. But I think that there's a there's another center that was taken in this draft that I think would have been a better choice for them. And uh, I will reveal it with the next pick. Okay. Um, uh, I just wanted to quickly... Oh, just before that, I just wanted to highlight a little bit about Nikita Kucherov, obviously. Um, he was taken in the second round, 58th overall, actually. But he has... Uh, Immense the the most amount of points in that dra- in that draft class, um, five forty seven points in only five fifteen games. So he's been over a point per game player and obviously an MVP in this league. It's not even close to the next player, which was the set the original second overall pick, Gabriel Landeskog. It's actually insane that Nikita Kucherov has barely played, uh, hasn't really played just over five hundred games, and he's he's having the success that he's had. I think uh, it'll be a shame if he doesn't ultimately win a Stanley Cup because mm-hmm. he's such a fan, a great player. Mm-hmm. So who are you taking with your second overall pick? This one, I think he's one of my favorite players to watch uh, from afar. And uh, I'll admit, uh, if I were to do the Leafs all over again, if they had their first round pick in 2011, I probably would have taken this guy or maybe some the guy that the Bruins took. It has to be uh, Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley, nice. I had him up on my board as well. At uh, number two, of course, 444 points in 519 games. And he's been just, he's been an absolute stud number one center for the Winnipeg Jets. And he's got really good size, too. That's what mm-hmm. some, some things people don't really understand. Six foot three, 207. That's exactly the kind of player you want to have as your top line center. And sure. uh, he doesn't necessarily have to be like the guy, but he's definitely someone you can build your franchise around, uh, at least part of your main core of players 100 percent. let's not forget that uh interesting about his uh draft was uh his draft or when he got drafted was when the winnipeg jets announced that they would be named the winnipeg jets once again and he got drafted in uh i believe he got drafted in the regular nhl jersey because they didn't have a winnipeg jets jersey designed at the time it was right when they had moved yep. from atlanta so a little interesting thing that happened there <laughs> So basically, Mark Shifley got drafted by the Winnipeg NHL team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So with the third pick, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep a Canadian Canadian teams here, okay. and I'm gonna take uh, Johnny Gaudreau third overall. Yeah, that's a good one. So uh, he's uh, been nearly a point per game player. Um, he's been he's uh, scored 151 goals, 294 assists for 445 points in just 464 games. So that's nearly a points per game player. Obviously took him a while to uh, to k- kind of enter the NHL as he was a uh, a later round pick. Um, let me actually, I'm trying to look for his exact spot. He was drafted 104th overall. So he jumps up quite a bit here in our draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty big jump for him. But uh, Johnny Goudreau, I think he was one of the first players from the draft that really took off. And mm-hmm. uh, he's definitely been a player that uh, has become a fan favorite for a long time, even though he's uh, one of the smaller players. Uh, sort of like Martin St. Louis, uh, he's a he's a little guy that uh, proves to do great things. And uh, hasn't he, has he won any uh, major awards yet? Um, Let me check. I do want to mention, though, Lola, when he first entered the league, I do remember everyone was... La- uh, was uh you know, talking about his size and his lack of size and um, things like that. Um, 
that was a big thing when he first came and then he just kind of took off. And I think we're starting to see the new era of the small NHL forward, the small skill for forward mm-hmm. thing in, in players like uh, Johnny Gaudreau, Mitch Marner, things like that. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he has, he has won in 2017. He won the lady Bing trophy. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's a, uh, yeah, he's definitely a player that uh, should definitely get some more hardware as his career uh, continues. Uh, he's one of the, definitely one of the best players to come out of that draft uh mm-hmm. if not for uh kucherov and shifley i think he'd go for overall obviously oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh who would you who are you gonna take with your uh fourth overall pick i'm actually having a hard time uh deciding this pick because there are some really really good players mm-hmm. that i could could choose uh to go number f- number four um but i'm gonna probably go with a center for okay. this pick and i have to go with someone who's proven to be one of the best uh, two-way uh, centers in the NHL today. And uh, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a late bloomer, but he's definitely got a, a lot of value for what he does. And I'm going to go with Sean Couturier. Sean Couturier. Nice, nice. Let me just write that down. So we have the result. So uh, Sean Couturier has been great with the Flyers, honestly. Um, like you yeah. said, kind of a late bloomer. bloomer. I mean, um, he did enter the league right away. Um, right um very early in his career and i, I believe he, he played the most amount of games in this draft class he's so in 647 games played he has 402 points but uh he's really been uh he's really blossomed into a, a really great player these last few seasons mm-hmm. yes yeah, since uh 2017 18 he's really uh, stepped up his offense production but mm-hmm. he's also really become a, a full-fledged force in the league like he's right in the middle of his prime right now and he's uh, just as dangerous as he was uh, when his career started. Uh, I think a lot of players, would, a lot of teams would love to have Sean Couturier on their team as second or first line center, but someone who's uh, great on both ends of the ice. I think we we, we tend to uh, overlook the value of that. And I'm glad uh, Sean Couturier has finally uh, come, up, come into his own these last couple of years because he's one of my favorite players to watch. Oh, for sure. That's a great pick at number four. Um, With my fifth pick, I'm going to, Go uh go to the back end here and then pick a goalie. I'm gonna take mm-hmm. uh John Gibson from the Anaheim Ducks. Well, that's a good one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, An elite that's, that's... elite goaltender. Um has <laughs> has a Leafs connection there because uh he was selected with the pick that uh the Leafs traded to the Anaheim Ducks, uh the second round pick. Um in order to uh get I forget if it was for Tyler Biggs or for Stuart Percy. Uh, Tyler either way, um, either of them didn't pan out for the Leafs, unfortunately. Meanwhile, both of the picks that the Anaheim Ducks uh, chose with Toronto's picks panned out into great players, all-star players, actually. So, uh, Tyler Biggs will continue league. to live in infamy for, for Leafs fans. And, uh, <laughs> and Stuart <laughs> Percy as well. Well, Stuart Percy was actually not bad, and he did play he make it to the NHL mm. for a bit, but his career i think didn't really pan and out because if i career. recall was he not part of the uh phil kessel trade um to pittsburgh uh uh stuart percy i think so but mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to double check that i'm gonna look at the uh, original draft uh here's stuart percy um i know for sure that there is a defenseman that uh no yeah he was part of the uh, phil kessel mm-hmm. trade so i mean at least he had his use there <laughs> actually no he wasn't no he's part of oh, the he wasn't trade. okay okay that was uh, Frank uh, Corrado, I believe. Okay. Maybe okay. Not. I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
there's a little salt in the wound uh, as, a, as a side note, but John Gibson has become an elite goaltender in this league, a young goaltender, and honestly, the backbone of the Anaheim Ducks. And um, I, I feel strongly about picking him at number five. He honestly, I had him at slot at number four, actually. So I'm glad I was able to steal him at number five. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. But, but yeah, definitely. Um, number five. Okay, so number six. I think I have to go to the uh, get a defenseman this time, and uh, he uh, he's always been a great player, but these last few seasons, especially this past one, has he's really shown he's a, an elite defenseman in this league that many teams would kill to have. And I have I'm going to take Ducky Hamilton. Nice. Don't make me say it. Another Leafs connection. <laughs> well, this is the this is the pick that uh, the Leafs should have had uh, in mm-hmm. 2011, but they traded away to get Phil Kessel. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that Phil Kessel trade. We don't talk about that either, but I just had to throw it out there <laughs> just for salt in the wound. But uh, Dougie Hamilton's been excellent, obviously, um, both uh, I mean, with the Boston Bruins, with the Calgary Flames, and with the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, mm-hmm. He's uh, had a very solid career. He's really taken those next steps um, into becoming a premier defenseman in this league, and uh, that's that's definitely a safe pick. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, re- really glad he's still available, but uh, there are some really good players taken in this draft too. That oh yeah. are still available. just looking at this. I mean, uh, I mean, I had Dougie Hamilton lower as well, but uh, uh, he can go anywhere between you know five to ten. But that just speaks about the amount of players that are amount of quality players that are sandwiched in this draft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So with my what what number are we on seven? Yeah, seven. With my seventh overall pick, um, I am going to take Jonathan Huberdeau. Well, that's uh, a good one. And he originally went third overall, but uh, he drops down to number seven in our redraft. But he's still an amazing player. I mean, 437 points in 536 games played. Let's not forget he won the Calder in uh, 2012 to 2013, which was the lockout um, shortened season. Yeah. And uh, he's really exploded recently. Um, I mean, last season he got put up 92 points. So um, he's definitely an elite player in this league. Yeah, he's a really... Uh, I think he's also a bit of a late bloomer too, even though like uh, he had a great start to his uh, career like like in this first rookie season. Uh, injuries have kind of uh, affected his play a little bit. I know 2016-17, he only played in 31 games. But uh, I think... Uh, He's still one of the best offensive players in the league. And uh, Florida's fl- offense is really good in part because of Huberville. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, uh, it's, I, it's very underrated. I mean, we know Alex Alexander Barkov has been one of the most underrated players in the league, but let's talk about his teammate, Jonathan Huberdo putting up 92 points in a season last season and still mm-hmm. um, being seen as, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people don't see him as an elite player, maybe because he plays in Florida, but definitely one of the elite, offensive players in the league yep absolutely agree um i'm gonna move let's move on to the eighth pick uh there's a player i was debating to taking earlier but i gotta take him now uh this he used to he was he was drafted by the senators at six overall but now he drops down to the eighth spot mika's have been a jet excellent pick excellent pick of course uh mika's have been a jet uh he's been uh He's he's also kind of a late bloomer in a way, but uh, he's really exploded. I mean, especially this season. Um, he has 384 points in 548 games played. But the real um, story is that he's had 74 points last season. And this season, which is, the, you know, the season where he's truly broken out, 
He's put up 75 points so far in only 57 games this season. And hopefully, I mean, we get this season back and he can continue to play at, at the pace he's been playing because it, he's been on a tear. Yeah. Just before uh, play was stopped, uh, Sabinajed had uh, one of the best nights of his career with five goals mm-hmm. against the Capitals. One of them was the overtime winner. Uh, and he, he really accelerated himself uh, in the goal sc- in the Rocket uh, Richard race. Which was which was crazy to think, because before he wasn't really uh, in the conversation, but now he was at, at 41 goals. Like he he was like a, a few hat tricks away from really catching up with the likes of Matthews, uh, Pasternak, and uh, Ovechkin. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really been crazy to see. Hundred percent, I I definitely agree. Um, so now with my ninth pick, um, I'm gonna take someone who I actually had slotted in a little higher. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad he, he dropped down, but again, it just, it just talks about how, um, it just proves how, how deep this draft really was, but I'm going to take, um, the person who was drafted by the avalanche second overall, Gabriel Landeskog gets bumped down to number nine in our draft. Um, of course the captain of the Colorado avalanche, he, he is, I, I believe he's the, uh, other before Connor McDavid became captain of the Oilers, I believe he was the youngest captain to ever become captain in the NHL. He beat yeah. Sidney Crosby's record at the at the time, or I believe it was Jonathan Taves' record actually afterwards. So I believe he beat Jonathan Taves' record, um, but the youngest captain at the time, um, and uh, really is a he's shown great leadership skills for that uh, Avalanche team, and he's put up a, a great numbers. I mean, he's put up. 460 points in 633 games played one of the highest games played totals in the uh in this draft class and uh he's just he's been a really good offensive player for the uh, avalanche yeah he's uh, definitely had a great career um he was definitely he's definitely one of the best players to come out of that draft but uh i think he uh i, I get where Colorado was going at at the time uh they needed a player to uh rebuild their franchise around start start anew mm-hmm. but uh if we're looking back on it i don't think he's a, a the, the the second overall pick for doing this all over again mm-hmm. obviously yeah, because with this redraft but i just think it just put the other players that are taking uh behind him uh some players have had better careers so far than him and he's also had some injury problems especially this season where he's missed a bunch of time oh for sure um and then let's round out this uh redraft with your 10th overall pick the 10th overall pick uh was was an easy one to pick uh when i had a bit of a dilemma but uh I think the only direction I should go in is taking the guy that actually went first overall in the real draft, and that's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Nugent Hopkins slotted at tenth as well, and um, I mean Nugent Hopkins is a great player. Let's let's not get that wrong. I mean, just because you know we're not redrafting him number one like how he went doesn't mean he hasn't been a very effective player for um for the Edmonton Oilers, and I think. He's definitely one of the best uh, second line centers in the in the game. He honestly is, and uh, we obviously, when he was assumed to play that number one center role in Edmonton, there was a lot of pressure on him. But now with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl there, um, assuming those first line, those first line roles, he can play a lot better without that much pressure. And he's really been striving, um, in the role he's put been put in the last few seasons. Yes, absolutely. And uh, this season was going to be his breakout season because uh, if you look at his numbers, yes, they're not uh, his career high, but he was on pace to shatter his uh, career high of 69 points uh, 
with with 61 and 65 games uh mm-hmm. potentially hit the 30 goal mark for the first time in his career uh he was a like the Edmonton Oilers obviously were having an excellent season compared to recent recent seasons uh but it's just a shame that we never got to see Nugent Hopkins uh get the offensive touch uh like really just reach his pinnacle, pinnacle of his career so far uh he's definitely uh coming to his own this, this past season a hundred percent um so that's our top 10 i'll just read it out um real quick again at number one we had nikita kucherov and number two we had mm-hmm. mark shifley at number three we had johnny gaudreau number four was sean couturier then we had john gibson at number five dougie hamilton at number six jonathan huberdo at number seven mika zabinajad at uh number eight gabriel landeskog at nine and ryan nugent hopkins at ten um let's let's give some honorable mentions mm-hmm. um, um the player that i was debating to take a uh, 10th overall uh and i the reason i didn't uh, pick him uh, over uh nugent hopkins was because he's only had one standout season and that was jt miller and that mm-hmm. was actually this past season oh yeah jt miller's really broken out for uh the vancouver canucks uh and uh, he's been playing great over there with uh, Elias Pettersson. Mm-hmm. Um, another one for sure that deserves a mention is Brandon Saad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely uh, good enough to be taken in the first round, like, uh, but he didn't actually take in the first round originally. Mm-hmm. He was taken 43rd overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, I have a couple, um, Ricard Raquel, um, who yep. was taken 30th uh, by the Ducks. Um, he's put up 30 goals, I believe, a, a couple times in his uh, career. And also uh, Jordan Binnington, um, Stanley Cup winning goaltender for the Blues. Um, I had him ranked a little lower. I know a lot of people are high on him right now, but I think he's put up one good season so far. Um, and and uh, he was in the middle of another good season this season. But I think we need to see a little more from him uh, before you know I could rank him ahead of John Gibson, who's been outstanding for his entire career. Absolutely. Um, a few other players we should definitely give a shout out to um, Andre Pallant, a great uh, steps like a secondary scorer for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Oscar Kleffbaum has really uh, developed uh, as a really solid defenseman for the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Uh, two more I really want to give a mention to Vincent Trocheck is a decent player. Mm-hmm. Very good player. Yep. And uh, you know who I'm gonna say? This is the only this is the only time I can say his name because he was drafted this year. My boy, Blake Coleman. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> huge, shout out so to, huge shout out to Blake Coleman. Oh, man. I was so happy when I, I, I saw his name like on the players of drafts. Like, yeah, I got to mention it. He's definitely <laughs> first round flip material. I do have to. Um, I also have to mention uh, another player. Honorable mention. Garrett Sparks. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Garrett Sparks. Uh, and Josh <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, but uh, definitely a deep draft, and uh, I'm just going through like a whole lot of players in the later rounds who are making everyday NHL appearances. Uh, you know, and you know, um, it, it was just a deep draft overall. Mm-hmm, yeah, a lot of great players. A lot of players that. Uh make give back some more memories a lot of players of what ifs and then a few players that have us triggered uh we, we don't want to go into those players again but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah no, an overall great draft 2011 draft for sure um and will that with that we'll close out the episode um is there anything you wanted to uh discuss before we close out just wanted to get into the uh only other question that we have from the uh 
fan submissions for for Q and A. Uh, thanks everybody for, for who did send in questions. Uh, uh, as always, uh, just before every episode, we will post out uh, here. We have some. If you want to ask, answer some questions, send them to us. Uh, it's from our boy uh, Juno at Juno the Leafs. Uh, he asked, "Rate how handsome I am." A ten out of ten. <laughs> um, yep. big shout out to Juno though because um, yeah, he's part of uh, the Wolf Pack, our Wolf Pack for uh, join. He joined uh, he joined us on stream. It was uh, me, you, Michael, uh, Juno at Juno the Leafs and uh, Tic Tac Tomar, uh, or also known as Omar, who we've had on the show last week. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we kicked some butt in Fortnite, known as the, uh, we call ourselves the Wolf Pack, and it went great. So hopefully if you guys tune into my streams, um, definitely we'll, we'll do some more uh, in the next coming weeks or even this week. Um, just stay tuned on my Twitter. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, on the stream on Monday night. Uh, I believe it's there gonna, every time we do this, going to be at 10 p.m. Uh, just be on the lookout for when we tweet about it. Uh, and uh, be sure to watch this. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh on the pot on the stream and uh, i'm looking forward to doing it again 100 percent. so with that um we'll close out uh the podcast uh you can follow me on twitter at matt underscore rodrigo underscore and stay tuned uh, i might tweet out when when i might stream there and you can follow me on twitter at the leafs imo keep a, an eye on uh content uh like video content because i've been doing a lot lately uh just yesterday i posted a video compilation of uh nasim kadri's uh shootout goals which uh i have to say are nifty <laughs> and and of course uh keep an eye out uh for uh, any other content that both of us uh, have in store and uh i hope you guys enjoyed this week's bottle episode oh while we're on the topic of twitter really quickly i want to give a shout out to uh sergi baka who retweeted my tweet and made me feel super cool me and him are basically <laughs> friends now just kidding <laughs> and uh, just to, just before we, we we take off uh we have to read what sergi baka literally just tweeted today's weather in toronto that's all i'm saying <laughs> man Sergi Baca you're awesome thanks for everything you do um, maybe come on the podcast one day but uh, yeah Ooh. I'm forever on his Twitter which is which is cool <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah we'll catch you guys next time uh, thanks for listening and see you guys next week <laughs>